Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, it's Andy Bueller, high school sports reporter and host of the Scorebook Live Today podcast. So the coronavirus has shut down schools and halted high school sports, but we're taking things up a notch in hopes to help during this time of great uncertainty. Each day, we're releasing a special episode of this podcast called Dickow's Quarantine Series, where our own Dan Dickow interviews an expert in their respective field, from coaches to trainers, authors to uh, former standout athletes. Subscribe to this podcast for free, and please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep everyone safe by washing your hands and following the governor's stay-at-home mandate. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Here's Dan Dickow after a word from our sponsor. Are you a small business impacted by the coronavirus? Washington Federal is here to help. Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live, and it's offering a five-year business line of credit with 90 days interest for free to businesses that have seen a 10% or greater drop. Apply now to receive up to $200,000 on business lines of credit. The folks at Washington Federal understand small businesses may need an emergency loan. They're doing their best to help during this global pandemic. If you're a small business owner who needs help, head to wafdbank.com to apply. Questions? Email business.lifeline at wafd.com. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, Washington, with today's podcast coming to you during the quarantine series where we're releasing a interview a conversation with an expert in their particular field, whether it's an athlete, former athlete, coach, author, you name it. Uh, we're trying to bring some some knowledge in, in these uncertain times. Today we've got a really unique special guest, a longtime quarterback in the NFL, uh, currently one of the, I believe, best winemakers in the country, uh, former Walla Walla High School and Washington State standout, Drew Bledsoe. Drew, thanks for joining us. How's everything today? Oh, it's great, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I get to puff my chest out on the wine thing. It's a lot like when I played quarterback. I, I get to uh, I get to be the like the, uh, the the poster boy that gets to take all the credit. But I've got a killer team up in Walla Walla that's making wine for me. So you know, but it is. It's a lot like being a quarterback. Everybody else does the hard work, and uh, and you get to take all the glory. So it works out pretty good for me. <laughs> uh, that's a great way to kind of. Uh describe your role or the role of a quarterback within a team have you taken in the business world now a lot of the lessons that you learned as a quarterback and as an athlete you know it's been one of the most um, interesting and most striking things uh, that I found in getting into the business world is how direct the parallels are between uh, quarterbacking a team being a part of a team uh, and running a business you know I mean it's uh, the similarities are everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, first of all, you're planning all the time. You're, you're planning for the, you know, in football, you're planning the off season and you're game planning for a specific opponent. And then you're, uh, in, in wine and, and in business, it's the same way. And then you're, then you got to execute and it's about every last detail. You know, you can't miss a detail playing offensive football. And if you want to make excellent wine, you can't miss the single detail. Um, it's about building a great team and leading a great team, uh, 
and you know within that people knowing their roles you know i tell people all the time man if I was playing football and you put me at left tackle, man. I would have tried so hard. I, mean, I would have given you my best, man, but we were going to suck. Right. <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, you know, and in business, it's the same putting people in, in positions to where they're, uh, where they can shine. Uh, it's about overcoming adversity. You know, I mean, we're, you know, case in point right now, you know, our team has had to change the fundamental way that we do business, uh, you know, right now in this quarantine. So, so yeah, it's been that's that part's been kind of cool. There's a lot of a lot of things that I learned from uh, from football that have, that have translated directly into business, into business. Growing up in Eastern Washington, and in particular Walla Walla, uh, you know, a lot of times everybody's always told as an athlete have a backup plan, have a future plan in store of what you might want to do. Was wine ever in that plan? Uh, certainly not when I was young, man. You know, I mean, I'm just just up the Columbia river from you, uh, down there in the Couve, And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm certain that when you were growing up, I mean, if you had anything to drink, it was, you know, beer, whiskey. And that was, you know, it's like you go to college, you know, wine was something that, that old people, you know, were into. Uh, so that didn't really start, uh, to become a thing until I was probably halfway through my career. You know, we started getting into wine. Tried to once we had a couple nickels in our pocket, and we could buy something that didn't come in a box. Then we then we just started to get into wine a little bit. Um, but it certainly was not something I thought about when I was a kid. Heck no. Last question on the wine side before we jump into your high school experiences and some of the things that you learned along the way. I am somebody who likes a a, a cabernet. Give me a recommendation uh, for my wife and I when we can finally kind of be done and we can go to a store and pick out a nice bottle of wine. What, what would you recommend? Well, I, I would say at, at, at pretty much every price point that you want to pick from, I don't know, I mean, you're not going to buy a $6 bottle of wine, but, uh, but every price point you want to pick, if you, if you find something from Walla Walla um, uh, or even from the greater Columbia Valley, uh, on the Cabernet side, you're going to get great value at every single price point, you know, whether that's 25 bucks or whether that's 150 bucks. Um, you know, if you take those wines and you put them up against a comparably priced wine from, uh, from Napa, uh, you're going to get better value and better quality at each price point. So, um, you know, specifically with our stuff, you know, we've got two, two sister wineries. We've got double back, which is the flagship and always has been. Um, and that's, you know, the, the, you know, more expensive sort of special occasion kind of wine. But then we have a Bledsoe family winery. We've got uh, our, our uh, Cabernet, uh, Flying Bee Cabernet under that label. And we've got uh, just our family wine under that label that probably a little more appropriate for a, uh, for a Tuesday or a Wednesday night than, uh, than opening a bottle of Doubleback. Uh, but all just fantastic wines that these guys are doing a great job uh, for us with. Well, I look forward to trying those at some point. Uh, want to go back now to your, your high school days. Um, you played for your dad at Walla Walla, uh, but you were also a multi-sport athlete. When you look back at your time, what was it like, one, playing for your dad as a coach, but then also what's the importance of being a multi-sport athlete uh, at the high school ranks? Because you don't see that a lot these days. Yeah. You know, I had a great experience playing for my dad. Um, you know, we've always gotten along fairly well. Uh, my brother uh, also played for him. Uh, and then I got to see the other side of it because I coached my sons. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we, we got along well. Um, you know, I always tried pretty hard to do what I was supposed to be doing so he didn't have to get on me too much. Um, 
and uh, and he was a really good coach. So you know that that helped. You know, if he was full of crap, then uh, that would have been harder. Um, but uh, yeah, we you know we had a great experience, and I think my brother would say the same, uh, and hopefully my sons would say the same after I coached him. Um, but then in terms of multi-sport athletes, uh, man, I sure encourage it. Um, you know, there there can be a time for specialization, I suppose, you know, at, at some at some level or in some sports maybe. Um, but shoot, man, I think I think most of the guys that I ended up playing with at the NFL level uh, were multi-sport athletes. You know, I think, first of all, just from a mental health standpoint, you don't want to get burnt out on a particular sport. Uh, you know, you if, if you only do one thing all the time, there were there were a handful of guys that I played with uh, that by the time they got to the NFL, um, didn't really like football very much. You know, they just, it's all they had done since they were six years old was, uh, was, was play football and train to play football. Um, you know, and then the guys that, that did that, you know, I think they kind of got burned out on it. But even then from a, from a, from a purely from a physical skill development standpoint, geez, you know, you, you go do some different types of activities. You take some different movements. You see how you're in a, you know, you're with a different ball or in a, on a different field, or you're doing something uh, that, that uh, requires you to move in a different way from a physical side. I think that's really important also. Um, you know, and I know you see it and you and I were blessed. We got to, you know, we got to go a long way as we got to play sports until we were, you know, we got to postpone growing up for a long time, you know, but, uh, but uh, uh, that doesn't happen for very many people. Um, and so from that standpoint, you know, you get a chance to be on a different team. You get to be around a different group of people. Um, and who knows, maybe you find something else that you're, that you're, uh, that you're really proficient at as well. So we really, I really encourage it. Um, you know, our kids all played multiple sports, uh, on the football team down here when we were, uh, when I was, uh, when I was still coaching, one of the things that, uh, there were five things you had to do to get your, your, uh, your special, uh, you know, treatment, your, your sweatshirt and your, uh, name on the back of your jersey and one of those five things uh was you had to play another sport um so if you wanted to get your name on your jersey you had to play another sport and it didn't really matter what that was you know some guys they just go play tennis or you know whatever it was they weren't serious about it but they were doing something different um and uh so we just always really encourage encourage that well that's uh i like the fact that as you mentioned you you were part of the i believe it was summit high school in the bend area uh, a coach and you yeah. encourage them to play multiple sports. I do think that's so important. You moved on from Walla Walla High School. You were being recruited, from what I understand, by almost everybody in the country. At the time, you had the top schools. You decided to stay home at Washington State. Um, you had a tremendous career in Pullman. Then you left the NFL, left early for the NFL. What are some of your fondest memories of Washington State in your time as a Cougar? Oh man, you know, um, in general, I just loved being in Pullman, you know, I'm a small town kid, you know, and go up there and, and, you know, it was a small town environment. It was, uh, and just, you know, you know, game days were awesome because everything was shut down in the entire town. Uh, during the rest of the week, man, I just, you know, felt like you were at school with a whole bunch of your buddies, you know, and, and, uh, you'd see people around campus. And, uh, so in general, I love that piece of it. Uh, on the football side, we had some uh, we had some special games. You know, the the, the, uh, the Apple Cup in 1992 stands out. You know, beat the Huskies. They were ranked, I think, fourth or fifth in the country, and beat them in the snow up there, which was pretty fun. Um, 
you know, I remember uh, my, my very first start when I was a freshman, uh, we played the Beavs uh, down in Corvallis. Um, and man, I just remember how nervous I was. <laughs> I was 18 years old and all of a sudden, uh, you know, coming out of Walla Walla and all of a sudden I'm out here playing Division One football. And uh, man, I just remember, I just remember so clearly, man, just shaking in my shoes before that game. And thankfully, you know, um, completed my first pass and then got hit once. And then I felt like I was playing football again. Uh, but it was uh, pretty nerve wracking for sure. You're somebody who obviously had the opportunity to play at the college and then the highest level for, uh, I believe, 14 years. So you've seen proper preparation. You've seen poor poor preparation. If there's a piece of advice that you could give to a current high school student athlete or a coach on preparation, what might that be? Um. You know, I think number one would be that there are no small details. Um, everything matters. You know, everything matters. And if you do the little things right, um, then the big things will, will inevitably happen. But if you don't do the little things right, uh, then the big stuff just doesn't matter. Um, you know, I think for, uh, uh, you know, for players, um, one thing that I would that I think is important, particularly now that's changed, I think even since you and I were coming up, is that uh, you know I tell guys to embrace adversity, actually look forward to it, uh, because it's it's hard to grow and get better. And I'm I'm guessing you probably found this in, in your career, and, and I certainly did in mine. Um, it's really hard to grow personally when things are good. Um, it's easy to uh, to just keep doing what you've been doing. Uh, hey, it's been working so far, so I'm just going to stick with this. Uh, but when adversity comes, that's a chance to really to, to grow. And I think um, there's a there's a tendency, I think, now to to hide from adversity or to point fingers or to blame somebody else or whatever. But if, but if you embrace adversity uh, and uh, really start to almost look forward to tough times because you know you're going to grow, that that part's really important. And then for the uh, for the coaches. You know, I, I grew up watching my dad coach and watching the impact he had on players and, um, and uh, you know, the friendships he developed with guys that he coached. Uh, I would, I would, a few things that I would say at a high level to coaches. Number one is, you know, you can be as loud as you want, but always be coaching. Don't be criticizing. You can be as loud as you want, but always tell the player what you want. You know, they're, they're, I really have found in, in almost maybe zero cases where it's really beneficial to just yell at a guy for screwing up without telling him what you actually want him to do. And, and that happens a lot where guys get in this rut where they're just going to tell you, man, why'd you do that? You screwed that up. I'm like, okay, well, you know, what was I supposed to do? And so um, it sounds really overly simplistic, but I think it's really important. You got to always be telling them what you want, not what you don't want. Um, and then after that, man, the high school level, man, it's such a, it's such a gift and such an opportunity to affect the person more than the player. Um, and that to me was by far the most rewarding piece of this whole thing was to see um, guys on the football field that because they were around us as coaches, um, maybe change their trajectory of their life and, and potentially, um, you know, on to bigger and better things because they were around us. And that has almost nothing to do with football, but it's certainly far more important. So some great pieces of advice and wisdom there in that. Last question before I let you go. Um, 
Drew, is as a point guard, I would always have to relay a message from a coach to different teammates. But a lot of times it would be kind of on a fly or in between free throws very quick. Mm-hmm. I've never been a quarterback. I've never played a game of football. What is it like to step into a huddle with 10 other sets of eyes focused just on you? And how do you deliver a message so quickly and so concisely to those other guys to get ready to run a play? Uh, well, I, I will tell you that it was, it was a really freaky experience when I first had to do that in the NFL. Uh, I was 21, and I stepped into the huddle with Bruce Armstrong and Pat Harlow and, uh, you know, Marv Cook. And, like, like, these guys were, you know, in their 30s, and they had kids and investment portfolios. Like, these are grown-ass men, and, and I got to step in the huddle and tell them what to do. And there was one time I jumped in, and Bruce Armstrong, who was the baddest dude that ever walked the planet, probably the toughest, smartest, strongest, meanest dude I ever played with, and I step in the huddle, and he's saying something in the huddle, and I just look at him and go, "Shut up!" And then I called the play. And I, I remember after the after that series was over, we're standing behind the huddle, and, and Pat Harlow, one of my buddies, uh, comes over to me. He goes, "He goes, hey, hey, you better go apologize to Bruce. Nobody tells Bruce to shut up." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And so I walk over to Bruce and like, "Hey, man, I'm really, really sorry. Uh, you know, I didn't mean to disrespect you at all. Just trying to call the play." He goes, "He goes, I know what you were trying to do." but don't ever tell me to shut up again. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yes, yes, sir, Mr. Armstrong. It'll never, ever happen again. Uh, but it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was a cool experience. It was challenging. And then, uh, but in terms of, you know, during a game, you really don't have much time to communicate much more than just the play. Uh, and then there's a lot of nonverbal uh, communication, which I'm sure was big for you too, or, you know, you, um, sometimes just a look, sometimes it's a hand signal, but it was a lot of nonverbal, nonverbal stuff that happened after you broke the, uh, broke the huddle um, in order to get that communicated. And then there was a lot of communication, obviously, in between series and, uh, and all of that, which was pretty fun. But, all right, hey, before, before we jump off, um, I, need a, uh, I need a Richie Saxon story. Um, Richie's my next door neighbor. And, okay. uh, you guys went to the same high school. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, you gotta, you gotta get there that you can tell on a podcast. Is there a Richie Sexton story you got for me? You know, uh, so I was a eighth grader when Richie was a, was a senior in high school. We kind of grew up obviously in the same area. I would go to basketball camps where he was in the older group or then when he was in high school, he was one of the coaches. So yeah, I've known him for a long time. Tremendous athlete. Uh, but I, I think one of the best stories I remember was uh, this was after we were kind of both professional athletes and, and we're playing golf one day. And I think it was during the all-star break for, for me. And so it's in Vancouver, it's cold and wet. And uh, you don't, you, your ball really doesn't roll very far at all. And I used to hit the ball pretty far, I thought, but Richie being a former, you know, home run king would just hit the ball further than ever so we're playing and literally I hit one as hard as I thought I could I got maybe 10 yards of roll because it was wet and mucky or whatever Richie's like is that all you got I'm like I hit it about as good as I could (laughs) he steps up and flew it literally about 70 yards past mine but because he hit it so high it literally just dropped and I think even rolled backwards and he's looking at me once we get out to our balls. He's like, that was really all you had? It was – I mean, there, there's, there's something to be said for, you know, the torque and the, the, 
momentum you put into a baseball swing translating to a golf swing. It was, it was ridiculous how hard he hit that golf ball. Dude, he's, uh, he's funny, man. Six, eight, you know, and he kind of looks like he's skinny and wiry until you actually watch him do something physically. And the dude is so damn strong, man. We go snowmobiling with him. If we get stuck, he's the guy that comes and digs snowmobiles out. So anyways, but it's fun to, uh, fun to have him as a neighbor up here. And, um, I know you guys are both, uh, both legends at there at, uh, at, uh, Br- Brush Prairie, right? Yep. Brush Prairie High, High School, School in Brush Prairie, Washington. Yeah. Funny story about him is, uh, I, I guess this would have been a better one. So, I asked him one day, I said, Richie, why did you choose baseball? Because he was all state in football, basketball, and baseball. He said, well, I'm a six foot eight wide receiver. I would be a linebacker or a safety's dream going across the middle. He said, basketball, I went to a camp and Jason Kidd and Chris Weber and Glenn Robinson were there. And about 20 minutes in, I looked around and I said, this isn't for me. There's not a chance I could play with these guys. He said, his last chance to make any kind of money and not have a real job was to play baseball. And he was like, (laughs) I I think it was like 25th round. He worked his way up from rookie ball all the way to being, uh, being an all-star. So pretty darn cool story. He's hopefully he's going to join us on one of these podcast uh, interviews soon as well. But um, Drew, I appreciate the time. Thanks for joining. And uh, I definitely will be trying some of that double back wine soon with my wife. Right on, man. Well, hopefully this, uh, hopefully this all kind of gets back to normal soon. We'll host you down in Walla Walla. You guys make that pretty drive from Spokane down to Walla Walla. Come down and see us down there. But hey, man, I appreciate it. Great to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks again. Have a great day, Drew. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.